Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Herbal Wisdom. I'm glad that you're here with us again today. We've been in some uncertain times and things are changing rapidly. And so I'm really happy to have a guest on today who is going to share some unique perspective. And we're just going to have some conversation about the current situation surrounding the pandemic that we're in. And so I am happy to have with me today herbalist John Slattery from Arizona. And John is an herbalist and an author and a teacher and a wild forager. And I'm really thankful, John, that you were able to make some time to come on the show with me. So thank you very much for being here. I know that times are really busy, so I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me and your patience as well. I know we've been working towards this for at least a couple of weeks or more. It's hard to even track time at this point. <laughs> I feel like March was the <laughs> longest month I've ever lived in in my life. Uh, I agree. <laughs> exciting, exciting times, exciting times nonetheless. Um, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, to be honest. Yeah, you know, some really... Um as, as much as a lot of what's going on right now with the COVID pandemic, um, and as much as it's overwhelming for a lot of people and feels kind of scary, there's some really exciting things, I think, coming out of all of the shifts that are happening. And tell me if you see this in your space as well. So I see more people coming to acceptance and understanding and desire for using herbal medicine than I have in the recent past. Have you seen the same thing? Yes, I have. And it's, um, it's something that I've been watching exponentially grow for the last four to five years. And it seems uh, like that exponential growth over the past four to five years now has exponentially grown over the past month. So the, if I can, yeah, restate that the growth rate over four to five years was then repeated just in the past month. And and the growth rate of that last four to five years, you know, was exponentially greater than what I had experienced and witnessed over the previous 15 years. So it's right. in, in a similar sense, what I was reflecting on last month was that, you know, this, uh, this sort of exponential growth and interest and attraction to and, and mind opening to uh, plant medicine has a, a certain correlative um, uh, relationship to some of the graphs I've seen on viral replication as as there's a certain amount of virus present and its ability to create an ecosystem that supports its shedding and, and moving throughout the system and infecting more cells, you know, it just exponentially grows really quickly. Like some of the models that we're stating that we were going to, what we're going to see from infections in the population, but um, doesn't seem it's like it's quite matched up to that, but nonetheless, like it's gone viral, so to speak with, with, people's interest in herbs. Right. So that's I've had, um, Yeah, I've had even some medical doctors contacting me saying, okay, tell me about, you know, 
herbs, you know, I, I hear about these mm. particular herbs and tell me, tell me what I need to do because what I have at my disposal isn't really working. And mm. I think that's really exciting to when we come to this place where we know that it's, I mean, we, we in the natural medicine world have known for a while that, you know, we have great tools to be complementary to pharmaceutical medication when we need to be. But it's nice to see that side of the world starting to turn and go, okay, it's time to partner. So I've enjoyed that over the last month. That sounds um, great. Yeah, I would, um, I can certainly appreciate an open mind coming from from any direction. And that's perhaps one of the more concerning things for me um, throughout this emerging scenario, how um, individuals from different groups and messages coming out from different groups or sub-segments sub of society promoting their own belief system and at, you know, by negating other ideas or perspectives. And so my, my approach to this throughout has been to um, practice the degree of rational discernment that I've been able to develop up to this point while also settling into my own heart mind and finding where those two can, can work and, and move together. And so therefore I'm really okay. open to various perspectives and different ideas and anybody who's been following this even peripherally will see that there are new and emerging perspectives that flip it up entirely into a new perspective that um, wasn't even entertained 24 to 48 hours previously. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, 15 articles or at least a couple articles written on something, which... Mm -hmm. You know, start. I, I would go back to at least March 10th or 11th, by my recollection, on when things really started to spike. You know, in my sphere of awareness, and at that point in time, I felt like, you know, people were realizing that the earthquake was shaking the building, and they're trying to decide, at that point, what you know, what should I take with me, or <laughs> where should I go to huddle? You know, it was that sort of reaction. Like nothing was really happening if that makes sense. I've, right. I've been in an earthquake where right after the shake, there's dead silence because people are trying to get a sense of like what's going on here. And so there was very little information within the first 24 to 48 hours. And then that started to exponentially grow. And then the quality of the information was yet a whole other thing to begin to discern, you know, what, and it still is, it still is. Um, trying to attempting to understand what this so-called COVID 2019 is and what it's doing to people or what it can do to people under what circumstances. And so addressing for me, I'm trying to address what was previously known about SARS coronavirus over the past couple decades or so, you know, all the research into that and then the emerging research over the past, you know, two to three months now. And whatever reports that are coming across through social media or through articles, or if I can ever get a chance to talk to somebody who's actually you know, in a hospital setting and what they're seeing, um, that's, that's really important information as well. So that to me can be way more important 
than any of any of the the research studies that are coming out of China, for example, or any articles in the New York Times. But what are people actually seeing? Because so much of right. what's been written about this has actually been, you know, it's much of what's dictating there's tremendous changes in our society right now is stemming from epidemiological models. And that concerns me, but I also want to understand what are people really seeing? What's going on? Before I make a judgment based on what I just said about, you know, before I dismiss the entirety of it out of hand because it's only coming from a model, no, I realize that there's a reality here too. What are people actually seeing? And I feel like that's, um, that's something I've been talking about in my, in my workshops over the past few years. It was a, a very relevant topic. What is right in front of you? Mm -hmm. That's a really important thing for us to take note of. And it was uh, brought to my attention through working with the plants how unaware we had become of what was right in front of us. And so through exercises with the plants, being able to see whether it's the, the, the data, the information that comes to us from the plants as a feeling, as a, as a selection of words, um, some people see visions, um, you know, whether we're ingesting plants or spending time with plants or, or for myself, I spend a lot of time out in the wild with plants and, and often taking people out and having people touch them and smell them. And sometimes we take tinctures and, you know, so it's a full sensorial experience coming in all these different directions and then helping people check in with, you know, what, what's happening for you. You know, this is a lot if we really draw our attention to it and what's right there. Forget about what we think we know, you know, analyzing constituents and talking about, you know, ethnobotany, whatever it is, not to alienate one channel of information from another, but, you know, what's happening right here. And I feel like that work, that perspective, that angle, that orientation is really, really important right now because there's, there's so much below the surface or at the surface that once we sit with it, it can give us highly relevant and pertinent information to where we sit at this time. And so in, in, each of us have our own little pocket that we exist in, but then I would say more so than any other time in my entire life, I feel the rest of humanity in the moment that I'm inhabiting. Right. You know, yeah, in other words, like, yeah, we're all still making our own breakfast and, you know, we got to sweep our floors and we got to do our own things. But at the same time, there's this continuous awareness. I have to speak for myself, but <laughs> what I'm seeing from a lot of people is that it's a shared experience of like this thing. And I've been, I was talking to a security guy at Home Depot today and I said, with all due respect to him, you know, be careful of your assumptions based on, you know, some things we had, we had shared. And I feel that's really important for myself to keep checking myself on a daily basis. What sort of assumptions am I making about this entire scenario? 
and where are those assumptions right. informed by? And, um, you know, to bring it back to the plants for a second, we spent, I had a weekend workshop um, that was just stripped down to a single day on Saturday. And one of my favorite plants to sit with, Ocotillo, um, for the first time in many, many years. And there was actually a woman in my workshop who I brought on a walk when she first arrived in the Sonoran Desert 13 years ago and introduced her to Ocotillo. And, and before I said a word about it or even the name of it, I asked her, what do you feel about this plant? And she sat for a moment, she looked at it, this is 13 years ago, and she touched her heart. She said, I feel it, I just feel it right here, without ingesting anything, just connecting to it. And there hasn't been a time since, whether it's one or a group of a dozen or two dozen or more people, that there isn't at least several that can nod their head to that type of experience or can express emotively or through words that they have some really profound or, or deeply felt emotional uh, and physiological spirit experience from the plant. And yet at this time, amongst a group of, at that point, there went from like nine down to six of us during that, that time spent with Ocotillo, it was almost universal, except for that, that one woman who had originally um, met the plant through, through one of my walks, they felt an, an absence. They've just felt an, an, an emptiness of sorts, myself included, that there was just a sense of being in nothingness, which is really, <laughs> really unusual for me. Um, personally with the plant, um, not, not entirely unusual, but highly unusual, and then certainly with the group, almost entirely unusual. And through that, as I started to feel into it and allow the, allow the words to come out without censoring, I recognized how important that being with nothingness out there, just a beautiful landscape before us, and there's no social media, there's no, um, there's no face masks, there's no expressed or implied fear of an impending danger around us, and we're just simply being with what is. And I felt it as an important acknowledgement for ourselves within ourselves and an acknowledgement of ourselves within the world at that time to do that because I feel it as such a pivotal time in our own individual lives as well as in the time of humanity on this planet. That sounds like a big thing to say, but, and, and there's a, perhaps a degree of humility of me that wants to retract that statement, but I feel it strongly within myself how relevant this time is and how in, in the whole expanse of time and humanity on this planet. And it is something that extends beyond, you know, anything we think we know or that exists in regards to this virus, but is much bigger and encompasses right. all of life. And I think if, you know, as we're vitalists, as herbalists, we see it as a whole, you know, so the virus is not just, it's not just this pathogenic um, program working its way through the population. You know, it's, if we trust in and rely upon the wisdom of Gaia, then there's something else going on here. And if we understand from a scientific point of view that we are made up of four times as much, as my understanding, 
viral DNA or RNA genomic, you know, sequencing in our bodies than we are of our own DNA. You know, we've had a very long relationship with viruses. They're here before us and they're here during our times and maybe very well maybe that they're here after we're gone if it comes to that but the fact is that they're informing all of life i believe through their their process of what they do exchanging information and whatever they're doing to us right now if we let fear aside for a moment and just accept what is and observe it as neutrally and as objectively as we can it seems significant to me on so many levels I mean, even if we just set aside for a second, what is it doing to our lungs? Or what can it do uh, to our entire phys physical body? Or what is it now doing to the economy as people are on lockdown? Or, you know, what does it mean for China-US relations? If we just put all of that aside for a second, I still feel there's so much potency there for us to sit with. And that was really my objective um, for this weekend, as I was inspired uh, a week or two ago, out gathering some medicine on the mountainside, and it just all came to me. I had um, stumbled upon a desert anemone in flower, which caused me to stop suddenly as I was walking across the hillside. And I looked across the, the canyon to the next mountain, and all of this just streamed into me that we were going to go out, not as a means to like follow the herbalist who knows the herbs and is going to explain you know, how this herb works for that and how this herb is going to maybe protect ACE2 somehow so that you don't get the virus or just leave all of that aside, myself included. Forget what we think we know and just go out there and be receptive as a, as a basic principle. But the idea was even richer than that and that we would, you know, first seek, you know, if there is something that to address the issue of there being um, a threat which is what we're essentially dealing with now every waking moment, that there's this threat. And maybe this every sleeping moment as well, for that matter. But there's a threat. So what is this threat, really? You know, to forget about what we think for a moment, but just go out into the wilderness, because this has been my practice and my experience, and I trust in it. Let To allow myself and this group of people, I invite them to join me in this, to allow ourselves to be informed by the natural world as it is a part of who we are, as we are a part of it, and appreciate and, and respect and embrace its intelligence that we can receive and, and seek that answer from outside of ourselves. And that you know, question being, what is, what is the immediate threat? Is there something that we need to protect ourselves from? If so, maybe, you know, maybe we could learn about what that is exactly. And, and, if, and if we can identify a threat or that there is a threat present, what might we do with what you have available for us, Mother Earth, to protect ourselves? Just trying to strip it down as simple as that, not going out there like, well, do you have any viral porn uh, protein inhibitors out here? You know, just really narrowing <laughs> down my focus about what I think I know. You know, even though that's, you know, that kind of stuff is exciting. What what inhibits IL six? You know, you know, right. <laughs> inevitably, you know, somebody. I hope somebody in a laboratory is thinking about that. That's their job. They're in that quarantined, highly limited space 
to do that type of work. But when we go out to nature, I've, I believe there are no limits. And so if I want to optimally meet that opportunity, I will let go of as many limits as I can. You know, and so me bringing my a priori knowledge, all that I think I know, then I, I inherently set limits. So I want to let go of that and let nature show me about what it knows. And, and, and in my experience is that at the same time, showing me what I already know from within, yeah. allowing it to come out. Right. So that experience with Ocotillo was really about helping me see, perhaps helping all of us that were there, see the, the silence, the resolve, the depth of being that resides within us as we are daily, perhaps, you know, I don't know. My, I seems my, my experience of the last month has been much different than the vast majority because I've spent very little time at home and I've been working nonstop. So this, uh, you know, just as I feel like most of the last 20 years, I've been doing something opposite of most of society. So it kind of goes in step my own experience, but, um, Lost my train of thought there for a moment. Feel free to interject with any. How any much? How much around. time have you been able to spend out in the wild? Are you are you able to be out as much as you used to be, um, or have have you been forced to not be able to be out and connecting with the am, plants in the way that you used to be? I am, let me say it this way: I am grateful that my body is healthy, so that I can go out into nature whenever I need to. Um, I would say it that way, whenever I need to, because most of my expeditions uh, for the past month have been for the express purpose of checking on plants that I need to gather or going specifically to gather plants. Um, and in terms of being limited in any way, no, I don't feel limited and there are no limits in front of me. Um, the closest thing that it's come to is that in the state park where I had the class scheduled for Saturday, they had a limitation on, they had reduced the number of participants, uh, entrance to a hundred. And, um, I'm glad that they kept it open by the order of the governor. Otherwise the people running the park would have shut it down, which to me, it doesn't make sense, nice. but we'll leave that aside for a moment. They, by order of the governor, nonetheless, despite the order, you know, to reduce the, the entrance to 100 to, to adhere to the concept of social distancing, they somehow got it in their head that they're going to shut down half of the parking lot, which to me enforces social approximation, because now you're not, <laughs> you're, you're letting less people, right. but you're forcing them into a smaller space. Right, let's park you closer together Just, so we can social distance. <laughs> You know, I could I could laugh at it as as we both are right now, myself quietly, but laughing at it nonetheless because it's like it's inane. Unless there's something I don't understand. And I actually called him to ask him about it. You know, why did you do this? And he said, Well, in a, and he wouldn't really answer at first. And then when I pressed it, he said that it's by order of the government. He said if it was up to us, we would have closed the park. So for me, okay. it's concerning to me that such things are being put in place when they seem to contradict and counteract the express purposes of the whole, you know, the whole policy. Right. But 
I'll leave that aside. I'll leave that aside for now. But um, fortunately, you know, that's the only degree of, of control or inhibition limitation that I've encountered so far. And um, yes, frankly, for me, that's my greatest concern right now. Um, not to say that I don't recognize the capacity for the virus to, to do people harm. And, but nonetheless, as I said already, I'm really careful not to act on, on assumptions about that because there's as much as I've researched, I feel like I still don't know that much. And I look at a lot of what's coming through in the media with skepticism. Right, right. And I feel like for at least in my space, I feel um, I feel some grief for the freedoms that we are freely letting go of. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like you recognizing that there's so much we don't know. Um, and, you know, I have I have my theories or um, ideas of things that I feel are probable. Um, but I don't feel like anything's proven by any means. So it's hard to make a definitive statement on why we are where we are. And yeah, so I came to the uh, conclusion I, about two or th- sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I came to the conclusion about two or three days ago that there's no way we're going to come to an answer through the reductivist method. There's just, right. it, certainly at this stage and perhaps even ever, just observing the types of inf- type of information that's come through and the way that it's come through, it's, it's, it's very confounding. It's very confounding. I feel that is an indication, you know, I'm taking all of this together, my experience in nature, all that I've observed over the past, I feel like much of the past 20 years is essentially prepared me for this time. There's so much about what I've done with my life and, and the energy that I've put in certain directions that really sets me up to be excited about this time and to thrive essentially in this time because it's what I've prepared myself for. But right. looking, at, looking at all of this, it indicates to me that there's something highly dynamic going on that we cannot conceptually trap it, compartmentalize it, and define it and put it away into a box as we've become so accustomed to doing with so many things. And that ties in directly to what I'm saying about the assumptions and that I feel like we've been lulled into a sleep as a society, believing that all that compartmentalization is complete and sufficient in explaining the world. Whereas, you know, you can make a lot of assumptions about Think about it, you know, people you know, and if those assumptions are general enough and not so invasive or don't, in, you know, conflict with, you know, the, the interactions, the essential interactions with you have, you have about this person, you could carry those assumptions throughout your life and, and never really be challenged on them. But I feel like right now, all of our assumptions are being challenged significantly. I agree. And, mm. For and, sure, and I feel it, it's an excellent. I'm excited about that because it's an excellent for somebody that really likes to get to the truth of the matter. Like, let's see it rise up. You know, within a week of this starting, I thought that we're really going to see the wheat 
this is where the wheat's going to separate from the chaff. You know, right. so much murkiness about things. And, you know, I think a lot of that is, is distilling out, you know, is coming more clear. But at the same time, so much is coming out that at the, at the surface, if we look at everything that's available to read right at the surface, it looks so contradictory. There's like so many aspects to it. And this, I relate to my work with plant energetics. Like you can have a group of people, they all take one herb and one person's hot, one person's cold, this, that. There's all these different, you know, manifestations of it that just makes it look like nonsense. If you don't have a deeper understanding and awareness of what, what is happening at the energetic level. And I feel like that's what our ancient ancestors had. Unfortunately, some of what, you know, is recorded and, and, and was part of our, our ancient civilizations has been preserved to some extent to give us hints of that, you know, that they understood that about reality, whether it's like the triple spiral swirling together, that there's something dynamic at the heart of life that we cannot ever become too sure of ourselves. And, and this yeah. perfect storm of this emerging scenario, I feel begs for our surrender at some level, while we also hold true and fast to those things that matter deeply to us and, and speak to our heart's mission and our heart's passion in this life. So there's a, a great balance, a, a fine line to be walked right now where you are, one is called to be relentless in their mission, their heart's mission, despite what's happening in the world around them, yet open up and surrender as if you have no idea what you're doing. That's so awesome. You know, there, I've been talking to people about how before this all started, they would say often, and I was, and I'm one of them. I'll be totally honest. I'll be like, I, you know, my, I want my life to be different in this way. You know, I don't want to work so much, or I, I want to slow my life down. Or <laughs> I want to spend more time outside, you know, and all yeah. these things that we wanted, right? And now we really have the opportunity to do these things, yeah. to create a different reality for how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. And are we willing to step up and do it? To let go of, like what you said, you know, like let go of assumptions and let go of um, those, those ways that we live that bind us into um, this place of, of feeling like we have control over what's going on around us, right? Instead of surrendering to the laws of the natural world, really, and coming back into touch with this land that we live on and all of the lessons and things that it can teach us and that connection that we can have again that we used to have as people hundreds of years ago. And we've become a society that is so... Um, dependent on other influences that we have forgotten to be dependent on ourselves and to trust ourselves and to trust the earth that we live on. So it's an exciting time if we allow those changes to happen. I agree. It is a very potent moment and with so much potential should we choose to see it as such. And I've been given great hope 
an encouragement at times when I go out into the world and I meet with people that I know, or in some cases don't know, but I feel that from people. I feel that they're unafraid and, you know, we're all to some extent ignorant about what's going on. So we have, you know, you can say anything about anyone. We each carry our degree of ignorance, even about this situation. So it's, you know, it's a pitfall to, you know, to, to, entertain judgment about anyone i believe at this time but to see people's uh strength in belief of their own uh, you know resistance internal resistance to the virus you know it, it, you could say that's ignorant okay like that they don't know any better and they should be doing this or that the other thing okay i can appreciate that perspective but for me, it's encouraging and inspiring to see someone who is unafraid of it, or at least willing to accept right. that which may come. I feel that's, that's something about ourselves that we've lost touch with and has saddened me deeply. And so I'm, I have hope when I see that, you know, and such that when I'm speaking with somebody who, who, who shows a degree of skepticism and is un, in a, in, elder in their 60s and unafraid you know i said i feel compelled to shake your hand you know we're standing away from each other most of the time we're being right. and he's like yeah sure and we shake each other's hand that to me okay maybe maybe we exchange some viral dna viral rna you know between us i don't know but to me you know personally that means more to me to touch this person's hand after having this exchange than the fear that goes along with, you know, am I going to, you know, transmit or be transmitted to, you know, that right. it's a very, it's a very tricky thing for me. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to put people down or tell people what they should or shouldn't do, but I'm inspired when I see people in some degree of defiance, not just through over ignorance, but a belief in themselves and a skepticism about what they're being told to do from outside sources. Right. You know, I, I've had people say, well, aren't you afraid of this virus? And I have said, no, I'm not. Because of a few things. Number one, I know how to keep my body healthy and strong mm -hmm. through the things that I eat and how I use my herbs and how I keep my mind my perspective, my spirituality, all of these things that make me this whole person, right? But I also trust in what I know to do if I do start to get sick with something. You know, for, for me, virus is virus, right? Like, I understand virus. I know how viruses replicate. I know how they work. I also know that I have so many tools at my disposal in the plants that I formed relationship with, that I, I have things to do. And if that virus is bigger than me, then it's gonna be bigger than me no matter what. So, you know, I honestly feel like I, I don't have that fear, um, but I do have grief and sadness for many of us who, who feel like we can no longer touch people and interact. I'm a hugger, like a huge hugger. And it is really hard for me to come up 
on somebody that I know and not give them a hug. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I think so many people in society are beginning to feel that touch deprivation. And um, like how you said, you, you know, you, you're just compelled to shake this person's hand. Like we need to not forget that we are wired for physical touch and connection. And sometimes that's more important. Yeah, I believe so. And I believe it's, you know, I accept it going out into the world. I could understand someone's argument against it. And um, without judging that it's coming from a place of fear, I can say, well, I accept that. I'm not trying to be audacious and arrogant and say, well, I can take this virus. You know, the virus very mm-hmm. well take my ass down, regardless of what I, right. what, how healthy I think I am or what I know. But my point is that it, for me, it's more important to acknowledge this person before me in a way that I feel in my heart at that time than to choose fear. And that's where the Ocotillo was eventually taking me and into this place of stillness. I was inspired to ask the question, you know, as I stated, you know, I had this, this intention as we went out there, what is the threat? So we're getting towards the end of our day and we had received some, some really important information from Estafiate and had a really nice group discussion about that. And, um, um, and so I'm still still contemplating what is the what is the threat? Is there something that you could share with me? And it was almost to, for verbatim the the historic quote from JFK: "What we have to fear is fear itself." And so the threat I believe looms within us, just as the capacity to resist the virus looms within us, resides within us, just as it is inherent within a virus's um, patho uh, progression to hijack what we have as our means of defending ourselves and regulating our internal environment and turning it into its its own program to suit itself and be our downfall, i.e. induce a cytokine storm. Not because a virus is creating all these compounds, but a virus has triggered us to do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I started contemplating this about a month ago, you know, as I'm looking at, at, at what a virus, you know, reviewing what a virus does and looking at all of the minutiae of that that I can, that I can digest. And that, that struck me as very, very poignant, in particular with this virus now into the to the extent that this has been elevated across the globe, across nations, across races, across ethnicities, across religions, everything. It doesn't matter. Everyone's, everyone's under it. So, mm, like I said right. earlier, you know, I feel as much a part of the human community as I ever have and aware of other people's struggles, your struggles or my struggles. And I think that's the empowering place that, that we can accept and inhabit despite the struggles and dis- or despite the fear, despite the threat. I agree. That's awesome. That's, yeah, if everyone can, you know, we can come out of this with a whole nother perspective on human connection. And it could be pretty wonderful.
So, okay, I'm going to ask you uh, a little bit of controversial question right now. Because you mentioned cytokine storm. Mm -hmm. And so there's the whole controversy of to elderberry or not to elderberry, right? And so, you know, we see this like all over social media, right? Everyone clamoring to get elderberry. And then so many people saying, oh, never take elderberry. So the controversial question, John, is your thought on elderberry. So when you ask me that question, my mind goes to listening to a man who was teaching a, West, a man from it's called Western world. I guess he was American um, relating his experience of learning Indian pulse diagnosis from his traditional Indian teacher. And through the process of learning, his teacher conveyed to him that questions are appropriately asked or questions are appropriate at the appropriate time. And so when we ask questions, ahead of ourselves in this case he wouldn't answer the question <laughs> if it was if it was inappropriate you know it was disregarded <laughs> as to send the message to the child uh, you know it, it's irrelevant you know you're you're trying to bring me down to your level when you don't even understand a broader picture that's not the relevant question for where you're at right now it's not the relevant question for what's going to help you learn the most right now and so um, that's my sense of this topic, not just amongst herbalists, but amongst, in, you know, in the whole world on the subject of herbalism, I find it to be largely irrelevant. And because it's so, it's been hijacked by emotions in all different directions, and it's been commandeered authoritatively from some sources, I feel it only enforces my point further. And it's been largely unproductive and unconstructive. And despite it going on for a month, people are still asking the question. So I think all of that really serves to make my point if anyone understands what I'm talking about. And I've had traditional teachers um, from the East, from Asia, as well as in, in, in the Americas that that you know their methods their manners uh coincides with this there's a lot that is taught through unspoken language and a lot that is answered when no words are spoken and so it's dependent upon the individual to reflect on that and and serve themselves to help themselves grow and become more adept at, at learning through their own means rather than just being you know given information which is what we've all what's happened to everyone who's been through this system we have been set up for dependency we have been set up for non-critical thinking and we've been set up to react with anxiety and despair when we're not allowed to have what we want and so it's all kind of par for the course but more more directly to your question, I think the simple answer <laughs> is that <laughs> uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Frankly, I don't believe it matters, by and large, okay? I'm not really of the political correctness mindset 
that states that I have to administer everything so that there's absolutely no harm to anyone in the world whatsoever. I think that's ludicrous, frankly. I feel like, and I don't feel it's my responsibility. I don't think, it's, I don't feel it's my responsibility to be responsible for the entire world in that way. So what I'm trying to, I'm trying to cover two ends of this is that, do I believe that it's impossible for elderberry or any part of elder to cause an injury to someone? No. Do I feel like that's highly unlikely and not within the context of my understanding of that plant? Yes. I, I feel it's, a, it's, it's taking the matter out of context. It's overlaying two things that are not interdimensionally related, which is what the ancestors have shared with us and passed down, but we have lost touch with. And so therefore we don't understand how things are connected. But because of the way that things are connected multidimensionally, and I see this in the, in the triple spiral as an example, that yes, from a certain perspective, it looks like what they're saying and they're cautioning against. But really that's, that's an unfortunate way to see it because it only sees it through a very tiny and marginal lens. But pulling back a little bit further in the broader context, my understanding of elder is that can be more modulatory in relation to our immune system. Right. But That's what I've frankly, you know, too. I, I'm not even dealing with the, I think the leaf is more effective frankly, way more effective. And I'll be honest and that, with that you, I have flips. never, <laughs> yeah, I, I've never used the leaf. I've, you know, I yeah. always, well, that, I know that flips it, berry. that flips it everything entirely on its head because, you know, this is what I'm talking about with the assumptions. There's an assumption, um, you know, based on a quote fact, you know, I was having this discussion with someone earlier today. It's like, facts, he said, it's a fact until, you know, it's proven otherwise. Well, you know, it's an assumption until we get become clearer about what we're actually working with. <laughs> so there's an, there's been an assumption that um, based on, you know, uh, there's been a belief, let me say, based on an assumption that elder is toxic in terms of its leaf and its stem and its bark. But really, if mm -hmm. we, if we, if we dig a little bit more, if we poke around without that, without the fear attached to that, you know, we, we've been able to see otherwise. And I have to credit Stephen Buner for helping me see this because he was the one that kind of pushed that veil aside and got in and, and explored this, you know, for himself. It wasn't just theory. It wasn't just theory. Right. People are saying a lot of things about Stephen Buner now that I just like, I have no clue. He actually, you know, spent time with the plant. He's made medicine with it. He's taken it in tremendous amounts to like really test this out and working with it for years. And um, it, it, so it's been born out of that experience. Um, even Michael Moore wrote about it as being, as being toxic, the leaf and, and the bark. And, and I went with it, you know, cause there's only so much any one person can figure out. But right. for me, what I've noticed, you know, it took me a little few years to figure this out, but for well over a decade, I've been aware of one of the greatest, um, uh, put this like one of the things holding back herbalism the most is when somebody with experience gets up there and says this can't happen 
this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And therefore right. it sets across this whole domino effect. And I think this is, this is, this is what we're seeing you know, on a broad societal and global scale right now is that you know, a, a, a figurehead gets up there and says something and then everyone assumes that that's the case and nobody questions it. And the same figurehead might be one that questions certain things because that dovetails with their particular belief system. But, you know, the pot's calling the kettle black and they just do the same thing that they that they propose to be, you know, carrying their flag against. But really, you know, they're, they're doing it with one hand and not the other, if that makes sense. Anyway. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I mean to say is that we just have to let go of the assumptions and let go of the fears at time, not just like willy-nilly, you have to force yourself to do all this stuff. No. What I've taught is that when, when the spirit moves you, when something calls to you, you know, that's when you have the chance to go there. You know, there's potency in that because it is calling. So when we go out to right. nature, we go, we, we go receptively. That's the goal so that we can be open to all the richness, richness that is there to calling to us. It's not two-dimensional. It's live, and it wants to dance with each of us in different ways. So if we're really open to that, then we can, we can reactivate that which is really alive within us individually and reconnect with the call of the wild that is relevant to us, not just because, you know, running barefoot is good for you, so I'm going to do this. Well, it might not be that good for you. You know, what, is it, what does it say to you? What does it feel? Like, that's the starting point. Like, how does it feel for you? But even when something that comes out of, out of nowhere, out of the ordinary that you're called to do, even if that contradicts the status quo, I feel it's important. It's an important path to explore. And it's going to challenge certain people's fears, those that experience it and those that observe it from the outside. But, you know, that's, that's just what it is. But if we, yeah. if, we, if we pursue that, it can open up whole new worlds for us and challenge and demolish, therefore, a lot of our preconceived ideas about what we thought was possible, i.e., I believe what we're in the middle of right now. So further, my point about why fear, releasing fear, is so powerful right now. I like to put it that way. It's so powerful right now. Rather than speak against it like you can't be fearful right now. Well, that doesn't really help, I think, as a, as a right. perspective. But, you know, to see it as like by releasing my fear, I like I gain so much. It's like the stock's selling really high. I should, uh, you know, it's, it, I should sell it right now. So it's like if we make that choice, it's going to pay us back big time. And I feel if we don't, we might be setting ourselves up for a very uncomfortable future. And I don't worry about us. I don't worry about others. You know, to some extent, that's not true. To some extent, I certainly do. What choices <laughs> others are going to make out of fear that's going to have an effect on me. But I'm, I'm working almost on a daily basis to let that go. And not as a means right. of because you don't have myself. control over what right. someone yeah, else exactly. is going to do. Right. And that's what mm -hmm. and that's what the plants have been have been teaching me. So I, I still I still I'm am taking some herbs daily prophylactically, um, you know, in in the spirit of you know doing the best that I know that I can do for myself. But at the same time, 
surrendering and letting go and really you know I put way more effort into being available for other people in that way than really taking care of myself because I, I haven't said this publicly anywhere yet but I'm there's strong indication that I already had this virus that's going around if 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 there's any any truth to the the symptom picture and what it is or whatever it whatever it is it's very much like what I already had which was unlike anything I yeah. ever so um and yeah I think I feel more. like I also had it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I feel like I, I think it was back in November oh really that wow. I had it yeah it was as early as November because like you said it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before and um yeah it would i mean it took me down mm. for several days um and i just kept thinking man this is odd this is really odd um but you know then i recovered and that was fine but I'm, and i'm talking to a lot of practitioners who say the same thing that you know naturopathic physicians that say that they believe they've been seeing this since november december time mm. Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying, you know, like, I can't, I really can't settle on anything. And my, mm -hmm. I feel all of my presumptions and assumptions only serve to, to limit my understanding. So, you know, even mm -hmm. if there's a lot, a lot of data out there that contradicts what you just said, I'm open, I'm open to that possibility, you know, trying to leave some space open to that, because as soon as I shut myself off, to this flow of information, I realize I've, I've narrowed, narrowed down my capacity to, to understand what's really happening. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I love about how you teach is, is that, and, and I brought, I remember the first time I met you, I brought my students to yeah. your class when you were up here in the Prescott area. And it was really a beautiful experience because you do focus on getting people to that place where they are intuitively connecting with that plant and allowing the plant to teach rather than like you said you being the expert saying this plant does a b and c um, every person in, in the class had that opportunity to learn from the plant on their level and it was really so beautiful so i i just want to say to you again i know i've told you this before but i really really appreciated that opportunity to to come with my students to your class and to really experience that way of learning from the plant so thank you for that well, thank you, Chris. I, I really appreciate that because it's um, it's a fulfillment of my of my role. I feel to do that, and any time that people show up, let alone recognize it, I feel like I've um, you know I've released some of my my load of my responsibility. So it's um, it's a very fulfilling endeavor, in other words, for me. So thank you for recognizing that. Now you also have recently released your new book. So do you want to tell everyone about your new book? Yeah, sure. I think it's, it's a wonderful companion for this time as people are, are seeking to learn more about the medicinal plants that are right around them. Um, this, this book is called the um, 
southwest uh, medicinal plants. So the area that is focused on ranges from Southern California, across Arizona, New Mexico, into Central Texas, Western Oklahoma, Southern Colorado, Southern Utah, Southern Nevada, uh, a wide variety of habitats which are all included in this area from low desert to high elevation, um, which is all what I have close by to me as well here in, in Southern Arizona. But the, the book is somewhat of a field guide um, with uh, plenty of really nice photos and uh, aids in identification, um, guides towards making medicine with the plant after direction on uh, proper harvesting techniques and uh, medicine making guide. And in the intro, there's a, a bit of, um, I, I was able to share a little bit about my concepts of bioregional herbalism, which tie into a lot of what I was talking about here today. And if there's another, a next book in the wings on this, uh, in this arena, that would probably be it to go deeper into the concepts of bioregional herbalism. But, you know, for where we're at right now, this I think is, is kind of the perfect book. And I would ideally like to see more books like this that are more regionally specific. But in the absence of even broader works from many areas, I think this book is really, really appropriate right now. But, you know, for example, I could go out into my yard and find at least a dozen or more. I've introduced a lot of plants to my yard, but even if I hadn't, there'd probably be easy, easily a dozen of the plants in my book in my yard or in my neighborhood. That, you know, had I not chosen this path or been awoken to this path in my life, uh, I might not even be aware that I have these, you know, medicinal plants in my yard. So that's, that's a really important, I think that's why this book is really important right now, especially as this emerging scenario, as I like to call it first, exploded and people you know just were rushing for for herbs and either people you know who couldn't afford to buy a lot of herbal products right away or you know they were you know stores were rushed and and uh, online businesses were sold out you know i was you know trying to help out as many people as i could online to direct them towards what their local resources are you know use this plant for a uh, steam inhalation if you're in the Sonoran Desert. If you're in the high desert, use this one. If you're in New England, use that. If you're in Ireland, use that. Because everywhere you go, there's there's something that you can use. And, you know, it's probably even more potent than anybody realizes, including your local herbalist. Herbs are always surprising me in this way. So I think this is really the big move, going back to where we started this discussion uh, on people's reawakening to herbal medicine, it's not just you're reawakening to herbal products companies out there, which inevitably people will, but I think the, the greater move is going to be towards people stepping out their door and opening their eyes and looking around and, and recognizing uh, more of their, their local resources. Right, that's great. So where can people get your book? People can get my book on my website, johnjslattery.com. Um, definitely not Amazon, so I'm not <laughs> shipping out loads of books, but I have, I get a case every now and again. And, and, you know, so people who like to support an author will buy it directly from their website. But otherwise, um, I also like to encourage people to buy from their local bookstore. I have no idea. I hadn't even thought about that until now, what the situation is looking like for local bookstores. So um, if right. there's a way for you to, to support your local bookstore, uh, we have a couple of great ones here in Tucson, both for used and new books. 
that um, I would hate to see them go away as a result of what's happening now. So maybe a, maybe a good way to support your local bookstore as well. But I think supporting an author that you appreciate by buying direct from them is always a great idea too, because um, um, authors don't make much from books sold by the by the, the big companies. Right, that's so true. Um, and so then people can uh, connect with you through your website, johnjslattery.com. Um, and see if you have any other workshops or classes coming up. Um, it was a rather ambitious spring that I had planned with a lot of traveling from Southern California to France and many places in between. Um, but of course, much of that has had to be, has to be canceled. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I realized that it's a really important time for this work, but at the same time, it feels right to stay close to home. Um, right now uh, during this time of uncertainty. So I had a class a workshop scheduled for Dallas next weekend and a couple weekends after that, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's, that could happen uh, if we get enough people. I'm willing to go up there and do it, but right now it's a bit uncertain um, as to the climate and whether we can, we can get enough people together to do that. And um, otherwise, you know, I, I see this as a great opportunity to bridge into Video teaching, um, I think there's no substitute for being out in nature and live with plants, but perhaps um, I can start whittling away some time to prevent, uh, present not just some, some plant walk videos, but other videos directed towards plant identification and uh, medicine making to inspire people to go out and be doing it on their own as well. Great. So people, so people can sign up for letter. your email newsletter, right? Correct. Yeah. On my website, um, uh, it, it can be a little bit incognito, camouflaged on the corner. It's a little red bell and you can click on that and it opens up a, a pop-up where you can put your email in and that will um, hook you up with my email newsletter. I have a blog on there with some, a few posts. Uh, and then you can also find some of my older blog posts, a lot of plant profiles that uh, in some cases are more expansive than what's in the book because of the limitations of space in the book, but those would be uh, at deserttortoisebotanicals.com, uh, my herbal products company, but that's where the blog started many years ago. Great. Well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to sit and talk with me today um, for this episode. I really appreciate how busy you have been and I'm very grateful that you would take this time. And I think that our, anyone listening is also grateful for the wisdom that you shared today. So thank you very much for doing oh, this today. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts and spend some time uh, talking about this with you. So um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Wonderful. And so for everyone listening, thank you for being here and joining us uh, for this discussion. And if you have not already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, um, either on podbean.com or wherever you're listening, if it's iTunes or Google Play. Um, that way you never miss an episode. And um, I encourage you to check out John's website and definitely get his book. Thank you again so much for being here for this episode of Verbal Wisdom, and we'll see you next time.